0: Welcome back to another episode of T-Minus 10, the show with 10-minute takes on the future of education and healthcare. I'm your host, Tim Fitzpatrick. On today's episode, you'll hear from Lucy Chen, a transplant pharmacist turned medical device informaticist At Fresenius Cappy, she's advancing the use of smart pub data to make IV infusions safer for patients. As you'll hear in a minute, Lucy's role today is to show clinicians that data doesn't have to be scary, and that good analytics is about asking important questions meaningful questions. Lucy is always thinking about asking the right questions and trying new ways to shift the status quo, especially when it comes to education and innovation. Without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Lucy Chen. Lucy, so good to see you. Thank you so much for joining me on T minus 10.
1: Good to see you as you as well Tim.
0: Um, so I want to give you a chance to introduce yourself and, and what you do. I'm excited to have you on. Um, we haven't had a chance yet to dive into, I think, pharmacy and transplantation as much as I would like. So this is a kind of a great opportunity and I'm, I'm thrilled to have you on. So if you don't yeah. mind, give people an idea what what you do.
1: Yeah, I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks for inviting me. So my name is Lucy Chen. I am a pharmacist by background and I started my pharmacy career at one of the large academic hospitals here in Toronto, Canada, uh, ended up spending sort of the first decade in my career there, actually. And most of that time, I specialized as a kidney transplant pharmacist. Um, so education definitely really featured us sort of the steak and potatoes of that job. Um, and, you know, I communicate pretty complex, actually, anti-rejection medication regimens to patients and sort of being able to do that really clearly and in a way that's relevant to them was really uh, important and during the years that I worked as a pharmacist I was lucky enough to have the opportunity to really like have thousands of conversations with hundreds of patients to educate them and um, Toronto is one of the most diverse cities in the world so my audiences really span like such a huge range of education levels, literacy levels, different cultures. Um, and I think what I learned about education in that role as a pharmacist, is just how important it is to listen to patients and have them give feedback directly on how well they think the education is working with them. And then using that feedback to iteratively improve the, the education. So really kind of taking like a patient co-design approach. Um, And then through this co-design experience that led me to um, a change in role to quality improvement. Um, And it was still at the same institution and um, I continue to work a lot on education and specifically sort of the patient experience aspect of quality. And um, here in this role, I just had more time to sort of set up systems of education rather than those one-on-one conversations. And so um, in doing that, I had the opportunity to explore a lot of digital tools. So like digital storytelling, we had our kidney donors record videos about their donation experience, what that was like for them and be able to upload that and share that with the community Um, or, you know, helping patients utilize the patient portals and understanding all the information there so they can really have a good conversation with their clinicians. Um, and even just simple stuff like setting up an educational website to make that information more accessible. And it was through this role that I really grew my interest in digital health, and that eventually led me to my current position. Right now, I'm an informatics manager at Visineas Cabby Canada, um, and I work in infusion devices team. So my focus is on how clinicians Use um, smart infusion devices in a way that reduces the likelihood of making a medication error when people are getting IV drugs in the hospital. Um, And so, here my audience is in terms of teaching um, and education is more clinicians than patients, but I think I still really try to bring a lot of what I learned in my previous roles here. So, you know, like those principles of co design and listening to the audience and using digital tools still really very much apply. Um, I think as I think about my career, it reminds me of how we met, which is um, I just came across Icona Health on um, LinkedIn. And I was like, wow, it's like digital health, education, nephrology, all the things that I've experienced in and interested in that's close to my heart was kind of like distilled. I was like, oh my God, I got to reach out to Tim.
0: Well, I'm glad you did. Um, and I know we've we've chatted a few times and uh, every time you share your background, obviously there's there's so many uh, things I want to ask you about what you've learned in in all those roles and I love you, know, you mentioned several strategies going from this idea of one-on-one interactions and by the way, uh, the, the whole idea of transplant nephrology is, is one that's just fascinating and I always enjoy digging into because of those conversations you you talk about with medications and um, how important and challenging that can be based on all of the challenges you kind of, you laid out there from education and literacy levels, but also diverse populations, communities, and urban setting. Um, I, I'm curious, I'd love to hear more about, you started with the patient-focused one-on-one interactions and then went to kind of a systems level co-design thinking. And now that you've done something kind of similar on the provider side and and thinking about the best ways for providers to understand kind of similar barriers, I'd love to kind of get a sense of where you maybe see similarities and opportunities for some of those strategies you've mentioned uh, that patients found helpful, beneficial in terms of access to information or ease of understanding or the ability to translate what you were telling them or that they were learning in between those interactions into their care path, their care path, their care understanding. Um, are you finding that those are informative of one another and, and kind of how do you think about that relationship between two sides of the same coin and, and what those challenges look like?
1: Yeah, I definitely think there's so much overlap and really... Um, you know, whether it's providers or patients, it's still kind of this principles of learning, the principles of adults learning specifically that applies regardless of the audience. Um, I think sort of looking at digital tools specifically, um, you know, prior to a couple of years ago, really um, the tools that were available for patients in terms of their learning was like a printout And they either sort of had that printout at home or it got lost and that tool for learning just wasn't available. And um, as part of my role, I started up, you know, just putting that on the web and making sure it was done in a way that was accessible. Um, So we know that a lot of patients who have kidney disease also suffer from um, poor vision for diabetes, for example. So really also making sure that whatever... was put on the web was accessible for people with low vision or, um, you know, who don't speak English as the first language. Um, and so sort of the analogy to that on the provider end as well, sort of creating um, learning modules for our clinicians who are using our devices so that um, they're not locked to sort of a single time training session and how much they're able to retain from that single live training session, but it's something they can go back to, um, through their institution's, um, learning portal. It's a interactive module that they can, um, use to refresh their learning over and over again in a way that's accessible, um, on their own schedule.
0: Yeah, this is, um, and and I'm glad you kind of dug into where that opportunity is because when, when I've thought about what I guess as someone who is not not a health professional and I started my first interest in this field was as a I was a patient and an understanding hey I I struggled to understand um, how to navigate my care and even though I you know had a college degree I still really struggled to conceptualize uh, what is what's actually happening here and how does that translate to the decisions that I'm making but by the time I started talking to more providers you know, like yourself and understanding, well, how do you learn? I just kind of assume you always have this certain level of, of understanding and the ability to kind of uh, deliver that message completely and wholly in any, any given patient setting, but how challenging all of these barriers seem to be and the importance of uh, allowing providers to keep up that competence and that knowledge because the area that you cover is so vast. And how that translates into those one-on-one conversations with patients. There's just so much complexity when you introduce any other additional variable, be it language or uh, cultural competency and um, understanding the region where you're operating. So I'm, I'm grateful you kind of laid that out because oftentimes PDFs are still, whether they're online or in person, you know, that seems to be still the standard of care and even though things like YouTube now exists or learning management systems, uh, there's still a pretty significant gap, it sounds like, where we can be taking some of that information that traditionally is in those printed formats um, and creating variations for all of those different ways that patients consume information differently or that providers understand at at varying levels of depth uh, and and putting those in a format where it's accessible and available on demand to help with some of the shortages and the gaps that we all know exist across healthcare. So that's a very interesting insight.
1: Yeah, it's interesting that you bring up things like YouTube or, um, you know, modules that's accessible online. And I think that's just one of the great things that I've seen over the last couple of years. Because um, you also mentioned for providers, you know, how do they know sort of what is the best practice in teaching and learning and Really, clinicians are just so busy, and there's so much to know, like you know all of these journals and new medical advances that you're trying to learn about, and do you you know necessarily have a lot of time to learn about learning science and how to best teach your patients and often um you don't have time to do that, and so it's great that clinicians are being supplemented these days by. Things like good, um, reliable health information that's available through the web or through other resources, and then when the patient is meeting the clinician, they're not necessarily just getting information as an info download, but you're using what you've learned and coming to it as a as a participant in the conversation. Um, and I think that becomes a much more satisfying visit for both
0: the patient and the clinician. I think so too. And just personal experience, things that I've heard and working with our partners. uh, But I think the other side that you mentioned earlier around not only patient portals and access to lab results, but the stories you talked about where actually recording and telling those stories. uh, I'd love to hear if you have comments on peer support online, uh, especially in transplantation, kidney transplant, where we've seen this uh, at play, just plays such a, a critical role in uh, not just information delivery between patients and understanding what's next, but kind of easing any anxieties or fears or uh, demystifying kind of the, the actual journey of what's ahead. Where Where did those sorts of interactions in your experience play into the learning ecosystem for patients, and especially as someone that's been involved as a central uh, care team member in that transplant pathway, for example?
1: Yeah, that's such a great question. Um, And so, you know, throughout my my role, um, when I worked as a pharmacist and later in quality, um, I had the opportunity to undertake a study with a few of my colleagues and it was a qualitative study looking at um, hearing from patients directly what they think they want to know after transplant and what they think they need to learn, told in their own voice. And so it was um, one-on-one interviews with uh, the patient participants. And I think what you've brought up was really one of the like highlights that really struck me um, as sort of the significant results of this study, which was that, um, you know, I think prior to this, I had a very, really kind of shallow understanding of education. I think my concept was very much like, if people know the right information, they can do the right thing to take care of their health. Um, But because we had this opportunity to really dive deep into sort of the inner worlds of patients and hear them speak about their experiences. I think like education and also um, learning sort of education from providers or from their peers really plays a much deeper um, and more impactful role than simply like knowing what to do. It's um, sort of speaking to their peers and learning what that experience is like. It gives people back um, what chronic illness often takes from them, like just confidence, sort of an agency over their lives, um, sense of self-efficacy, that connection where as living with illness is often very isolating. I think it really gave me uh, a new appreciation for health education wherever that source comes from, whether it's providers or peers. it's a very kind of almost sacred task um, to give people back what chronic illness kind of um, takes from them um, that you have no control over.
0: Yeah, this is um, this idea of uh, bringing confidence back and self-efficacy back, uh, however that's done. And often it is through storytelling, it is through all the tools that you mentioned at the beginning and, and here again, uh, however that's delivered. And I, I, one thing that I've grown to really appreciate um, in speaking with providers and, and frontline care, whether it be a technician in a dialysis clinic or, um, or a social worker, someone who really enjoys understanding the why, the why behind the why the patient wants to follow a certain care path or wants to understand that bit of information that might help them unlock uh, that confidence or that self-efficacy. Um, I, I've just grown to appreciate that so much. And clearly I hear it here and the fact that you've gone through that those studies and had the one-on-one qualitative interviews with patients um, and have these highlights to, to kind of benefit from. So I think that's a, a great segue into how I love to wrap up these conversations or think about the tail end. And that is forward-looking uh, as someone who has been so closely involved with patients and now on the informatics side and working with providers, physicians. Uh, I'm curious what, from what you've learned and worked on, and clearly you have a, uh, a wealth of experience across learning and strategies, what are you excited about or what are you optimistic about in terms of education in the future of healthcare? And I mean that on either side, and please feel free to take that where you will, but either patient side or physician side, what are the things that have you excited based on all you've learned so far?
1: I think it's really the the tool. So, you know, we've seen an explosion in investment into digital health, uh, different platforms, different tools over the last three years or so. And I really think that's going to be um, the game changer going forward. Um, And I think, you know, Maybe often we think about, okay, it's going to be more convenient. It's going to be more accessible. But I think if we go one step beyond and think about how it really changes people's relationships with their providers to be so much more, I think, useful, um, that's that's going to be the biggest change that sticks out to me. Um, so... You know, I think about you mentioned patient portals or even just having so much health information available on the Internet. um, It enables clinicians to really use the time that they have with their patients, you know, maybe it's only 15 minutes um, in a much more elevated way. So instead of just using that time to convey basic information like what does the kidney do? What's your creatinine? What does it mean? Um, patients they can find that out on their own um, on their own time before the appointment have time to digest it and um, really kind of think about it and then when they come and meet their clinician they can use that person as a sounding board to really draw, um, you know make better health decisions and I think um, just going back to what I said earlier it's going to just make the experience much richer for both the patient and the clinician. Um, I think, you know, as a pharmacist, as a nephrologist, nurse, whoever, um, you know, they really get to use the full extent of their expertise and experience to have those meaningful conversations rather than just simple sort of information download.
0: Well, I'm, I'm excited too. And that framing, <laughs> that framing beyond access and actually building and changing that, Relationship with the provider uh, is such an exciting one because clearly you're right. In the last several years, the amount of attention and investment that's gone into digital health tools, but also into innovative care models, uh, especially in kidney care. We know that there are more interactions. We know that uh, multidisciplinary care teams are playing a greater role with increased visit frequency and interactions throughout the patient journey. And what better way to then to to realize education is a fundamental part of that experience. Uh, So I I really enjoyed that description of building on that relationship and getting the most out of that time as those numbers of visits increase. uh, But certainly that's just a more sustainable way forward. So Lucy, thank you. It was so great having you on here. Um, Where can people find you, connect with you after this show?
1: I'm on LinkedIn, um, as well as Twitter. Do I just say the link or how that's, that no, that's, that's perfect. Okay. Uh, we'll
0: make sure that we, I, we just want to know where you prefer to, okay. to okay. where you're kind of talking about these topics. Uh, we'll make sure that your links are in the show notes for this episode. Um, uh, but we'll, we'll handle all of that. So Lucy, thank okay. you for, okay. thank you for joining us. Really good to have you on T minus 10. Thank you.
1: Thanks, Tim. Great chatting with you.